What, Doc? We're going to have to start over. There was a hiccup when you did that in the internet at that moment. Okay. You, you're right <laughs> Tell at your moment. kids to get off the internet. Stop playing their Fortnite or whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> I don't know what children do. Yep. Engineer Mike will, will cut their connection. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina? Okay, I've got a television show pitch idea for you. All right. It's Game of Thrones inspired. All right. So, two small medieval kingdoms go to war with each other over who has the rights to own territory and wealth. Mm-hmm. And much like Game of Thrones, there's a lot of sex and violence throughout. Mm-hmm. Plenty of polygamy and a bland cast of white actors. Mm-hmm. But the inciting incident for my show isn't when a boy catches a brother and sister having sex and that brother pushes that boy out of a window. It's when the king from one kingdom accuses the queen from another kingdom of killing her husband and feeding him or feeds him to a tiger. And this show isn't medieval themed at all. It is set in modern day America. And the show is not a sweeping epic drama series at all. It is a limited documentary series. So I I would assume I know the series that you're talking about, except you referred to the white people as bland uh, in this case. And the series, of course, <laughs> the Tiger King, you could describe the people in there as anything you wanted. Except I don't know that Bland would, would describe them. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on which region of this country you're from. That's true. If you live in certain parts of Florida, the idea that there are just meth-fueled you know, sex cults all around you might be part of your daily life. This is true. Yeah. But yes, this show does exist. This show is Tiger King on Netflix. And it is, as of this recording, the number one most watched television show on Netflix right now. Yeah, I have seen it. So um, why is this an appropriate topic for the Pop Medieval podcast? Well, number one, Tiger King, come on. We don't have kings in America. Well, yes, that's true. I do do feel our constitutional order should reject uh, Joe Exotic altogether. (laughs) I feel like our country should reject Joe Exotic altogether, but... Unfortunately, we've embraced him and Carol Baskin and Doc Antle, and um, in fact, we kind of worship them. (laughs) This is medieval-themed because it's kind of about three kingdoms going to war with each other, about who has the right to own property, in this case, tigers. Mm -hmm. Also because it's about menageries of animals. Yeah, well, I think, in fact, it is a lot more medieval than it might seem at first blush you know you talk you use the word menageries and menageries yeah got to be really really big in the middle ages among certain kinds of kings so the romans would do these kind of displays of powerful animals and so on the tiger king of course the characters i'm going to call them characters obviously they're actual human beings on this show there are characters one assumes uh, in yes. some way they're actual human beings the characters on the tiger king they often talk about the power of tigers and experiencing the power of being near one or the power that they instill in them. In the case of one of them, Doc Antle, it's a, I don't know if I want to say theological, but at least a religious understanding of, of power. Uh, whereas the others, it might just be power to overcome 
your adversities in your own life. And then uh, sometimes it's really power over others that they use these things for. And absolutely. Yeah. So in the Middle Ages, you often had these kings who would collect menageries of exotic animals. And we often think about, you know, the Middle Ages is a time when there wasn't. So like to be a king, to, to be anyone in, say, medieval France, you're probably not going to end up in in Africa. You're probably not going to end up in Asia. Right. But right. A few people did. And there was plenty of trade that went on. Uh, one of my favorite little factoids is that the ivory found uh, in now that we can do genetic testing, we know the ivory found in England uh, in the early Middle Ages is Indian elephant ivory. And the mm-hmm. ivory that comes later is ivory from walruses that you'd think would be closer. So, in fact, the earlier oh. ivory came from further away uh, from from cultures that they didn't have any any contact with. So or that we would think they didn't have contact with. And we have coins that have ended up in really disparate places from from the time. So although your average person would not have seen one of these animals, uh, if you were a a very, very wealthy person, usually a king or an emperor, you could usually get some animals somehow. And this is how you showed your power. So probably the first guy to really revive the Roman practice of menageries would be King Henry I of England. And he had a small menagerie, he had a lion, a lynx, camel. Uh, he had an ostrich. And he also had some apes. We're not sure what kind. And also, I believe he had some large dogs. And so we don't often think about dogs as being something you'd have in a, a like a private zoo, right? Or in this case, mm-hmm. a menagerie. But really, really big mastiffs, that kind of thing would sometimes be in there. They're kind of like freak dogs, I guess. Probably the most famous menagerie dweller, I guess. Well, Charlemagne had a menagerie. But uh, and he had lions and bears and camels and big dogs and, and exotic birds and all those things. But he also very famously had an elephant. Now, he wasn't the only one had an elephant, but his elephant was named Abulabas. It was a famous elephant. It's a character in the Kid Beowulf comic books. The the <laughs> elephant Abulabas actually has a he's more than just a scenery. He has functions as an animal character. I think Frederick II, the uh, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, was really the one who really had the hugest. He had multiple menageries. I think Charlemagne actually had three. Exotic birds, mm-hmm. lions, leopards, camels, elephants, ostriches. I know ostriches are birds, but, you know, I, I somehow categorize. I, I think Frederick II had like a cockatoos and things like that. So yeah. just these huge menageries to, to demonstrate uh, their power. Well, eventually what happens, of course, is menageries end up maybe not being literally owning the animals, but you put them on your heraldry, right? You have them, you know, lions rampart, that kind of thing. Yeah, so there is something very medieval about this. Something very medieval about this, I think. That's interesting. And it's another modern day king who had a huge menagerie is Pablo Escobar. Oh, yes. Yeah, who brought over a bunch of animals to a zoo in Colombia and when he died, his hippos were, I, I can't remember the exact chain of events, but basically his hippos kind of run rampant around his, what remains of his compound now. And they, they terrorize the locals. I've read, I've read, I've read that they've, they've become an invasive species there, right? 
Yeah, because they don't really have any natural predators like they do in Africa. And so, like, they, the the locals, they team up to basically murder them. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's that's the wrong, that's too strong of a word. Uh, to dispose of them because they, they, they mate, they don't have any natural predators to get rid of them in the wild like, you know, they do in their natural habitat. I believe there's a task force also to come and uh, get rid of them as well, but uh, they just they just run wild and attack animals. And uh, you know, hippos are vegetarians; they don't kill other animals for meat, but they do encroach upon other you know, land and water, and also you know <laughs> hurt people who get too close to them. Oh yeah, they're very dangerous. Hippos are. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a modern theme to for very wealthy people and very wealthy bad people to take in animals as a show of power. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought this was very fascinating that you bring up these kings like Henry the First and Charlemagne and was it Frederick the Second? Yeah, Frederick the yes, Second. Yes, right. Now we're watching a documentary about how other famous really bad people are taking in <laughs> specifically large cats just to show, hey, look at how great I am. They really do set up their own little kingdoms. I mean, each, you know, each one has this, it's a discrete area in, in which mm-hmm. they can dwell, right? Because you can't have the animals everywhere. And so you've got this area and you control this area. And whoever's in charge of it really seems to have complete control over that area. Right. It doesn't appear while you're on there that you have any particular they appear almost sovereign territories, right? Yeah. And this very much gets at this idea that you're displaying your power. And so I know we could, we could add uh, Jeff Lowe, uh, but really the sort of the three, the three primaries, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle and Carol Baskin, each one has a, a very public way that they go out and display their power. Both they, they, they merchandise those things, but they also have things which they don't merchandise and they use these things to display their power. And you see them lobbying Congress with animals and uh, a lot Mm -hmm. of shots of people, you know, running for political office and this idea that there is somehow power associated with the animals. And if you can be associated with the animal, you're associated with power. And that's very much the way that these emperors saw it too. Yeah. Because you can look at it politically. Joe Exotic is the populist. I'm the everyman. Uh, Carol Baskin is, no, I'm the good one. I'm the one who's clearly on the side of animals. So if you're on my side, you're on the side of animals too. And Doc Antle being, well, I'm the sexy one. I'm the one that's, that's you know, you, you have these animals. Well, you're going to have sex too. <laughs> so it's, yeah, he, he's he's really the grossest one. I'll be honest. Like he, he just kind of made my skin crawl the entire time. But uh, I, I think there's a that kind of political slant to it as well. You know, who, who you like best on the show, it kind of says about says enough about you as well. I think that's probably true. Yeah. I think that's true. And, you know, whose menagerie you decide you like showed maybe where your uh, your political yeah. loyalties lie. Though, though, to be true, to be honest, most of the guys who had these big menageries, they didn't have they didn't have big rivalries often. They were they tend to be the dominant person around Pablo Escobar style Mm -hmm. and sometimes the exchange of animals would sometimes go with things like i believe thomas a beckett used was part of an exchange of animals for king henry when they 
uh, to arrange a wedding, if I recall right. Sometimes you'd have this exchange of exotic animals, too, as part of that. Yeah, in exchange for drugs, too. (laughs) Maybe that, too. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the theme of the show, and I'm... I'm saying that there's a theme because really this is this is not a documentary series for knowledge. This is a documentary series to, meant to be salacious. Mm-hmm. And I did have fun watching it. You and I both did mm-hmm. have a lot of fun watching it. Um, but it, going back to something you said earlier, um, the show is about predators. It's about the people preying upon the people around them. Regardless of who they are, regardless of whether it's Joe Exotic or Carol Baskin or Doc Antle, it's who they get to work for them, who they get to like them, to surround them, who they can use to take advantage of them, just like the cats they admire. Yeah. I think it's an important documentary series. And I think it's it's something that we like. We're like we like it because it's trashy. And I say the collective we, not just you and I. But um, as Americans, we like it because we're rubbernecking. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's something to watch because it is about how human beings take advantage of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's also about how human beings take advantage of wild animals, too, Yeah. at the same time. So let's talk about tigers for a second, too, specifically yes. about tigers. So tigers were a thing which medieval people knew about. You notice that when I talked about the menageries, I talked about lions and lynxes and things like that. But I didn't talk about tigers. But they did know about tigers. It's just that our our modern Linnaean way of distinguishing between animals was was not set up. And so even when they say lions, we have pictures which it's clear that the lions are lions. I mean, not photographs, right, but drawings. Uh, but in some cases, it's not clear. So I, I want to read a little bit to you. And this is from a website I'm going to be recommending later on uh, in the podcast. Sure. So they've collected things on different animals. And I want to read to you from... Uh, Isidore Seville, he had a really famous book called Etymologies, where he talks about animals. And Bartholomaeus Angelicus, who's a 13th century guy, who wrote, and, uh, and they both have little entries about tigers. And I want you to notice here how they seem to have a vague idea of tigers. And it's first, they, they see tigers as things that have spots, not that have stripes. Like a leopard. Mm-hmm, like a leopard. Yeah. And also, there's a sense in which they see them as... Which, which what they say is true, but it feels like they squinted when they looked at them. Of course, these are people who didn't ever see a tiger, right? Mm-hmm. So here's Isidore of Seville. This would be 7th century. The tiger, tigris, has its name after the word the Persians and Medes used for arrow because tigers are so fast. The Tigris River is named after the tiger because it is the fastest of all rivers. Tigers have many spots and are admired for their strength and speed. Most live in the Hyrcania. Her- I can never say that word. In India, female dogs are tied up in the forest at night where wild tigers mate with them. Dogs born in this way are fierce and can overcome lions. So in that one, you mm-hmm. have the idea that tigers and lions are definitely different animals. And maybe we have the sense that this idea of really big dogs, the fierceness of really big dogs, right? That maybe they have some wild tiger blood in them. Mm-hmm. And then in Bar- our ba- Bartholomeus Angelicus, that would be much later, 13th century. The tiger is the swiftest beast in flight, as it were an arrow. For the Pharisees call the arrow tigris, as the beast distinguished with diverse specks, as wondrously strong and swift. And Pliny saith they be beasts of dreadful swiftness, that is namely known when he is taken, for the whelp is all 
glimmy and sinewy, and the hunter lieth in a wait, and taketh away the whelps, and fleeth soon away on the swift, most swift horse that he may have. Or that sounds like a scene from the Tiger King there where someone's stealing tiger that comes. That does. <laughs> and when the wild beast cometh and findeth the den void, and when the whelps away, then he reseth headlong and taketh the four of him that beareth the whelps away, and followeth him by smell. And when the hunter heareth the grunching of that beast that runneth after him, he throweth down one of the whelps, and the mother taketh the whelp in her mouth. And meantime, the hunter taketh a ship and, <laughs> and hath with him the other whelps, and scapeth in that wise. And she is so beguiled, and her fierceness standeth in no stead, that the male taketh no wood raise after. For the male recketh not of the whelps, and he that will bear away the whelps leaveth in the way great mirrors, that the mother followeth and foundeth mirrors in the way, and looketh on them, and seeth her own shadow and image therein, and weaneth that she seeth her children therein, and is long occupied, therefore, to deliver her children out of the glass, so the hunter hath time and space to escape. And so she is beguiled with her own shadow, and she followeth no farther after the hunter to deliver her children. So, wow. by the way, that translation is from the, the early 20th century, but obviously they're going for a very old-timey uh, sound there. But this idea that you put up mirrors and the tigers think it's looking at their own cubs is a, a fascinating idea, I think. That is, yeah. We should have told Joe Exotic about that. He could have, he could have used that. <laughs> he could have turned that into a country music or a country western song. He sure could have. <laughs> I saw a tiger, and the tiger saw itself <laughs> as its cubs. <laughs> so, I did just before we get into recommendations. I did do one thing. I I thought about tigers as heraldry. And uh, I designed heraldry for the three warring kingdoms that I wanted okay. to share with you. All right. Okay. Let's hear yes. It. So, okay. So for Joe Exotic, I designed. Um, it's a pink camouflage background with yellow St. Andrew's cross, which you know it's like a you know giant X mm -hmm. for you know the, and it's yellow for his blonde head. Uh, but the cross would be two SKS rifles with the big <laughs> banana clips. And 127 tiger heads, not the full rearing bodies, just the heads, uh, to represent the 127 that he started off with in the beginning of the series. For Doc Antle, it's the light blue background for the color of that shirt he was wearing throughout the, the talking <laughs> heads, because I hated that shirt. One orange rearing tiger in the middle, but it's broken in half to represent the tigers that he's likely murdered because they weren't cute enough or started getting deadly. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry, I should have said that. <laughs> Uh, then four strong independent rearing tigresses surrounding that tiger who don't need no gross, creepy tiger grooming them from their teenage years. <laughs> that sounds good also. Thank you. And then finally for Carol Baskin, it's one big giant tiger head, yellow, of course, on an orange background on top of three smaller white tiger heads. But actually it's only two cat heads because the space for the second cat head is missing. And then around that are dozens of cat heads, some navy blue, some royal blue, some green, some yellow, et cetera, et cetera, to represent all of her volunteers that aren't getting paid. I think that one needs a Latin inscription, but I don't know how to say, yeah. hey there, cool cats and kittens, uh, in, <laughs> in Latin, so I'd have to work on that. Yep. <laughs> Neither one of us are Latin scholars. No. Maybe we should also <laughs> offer this. If any of the pop medieval listeners out there want to mock up these... Uh, and send them to us. Maybe we can add those to the show notes page so future generations sure. can see the beautiful art that people have, have uh, created. We welcome it. We welcome it. Yeah. 
So Nina, did you have any uh, recommendations for us? I do. I've got two recommendations. One, one silly and uh, one sort of uh, less silly. Uh, but they're both silly and um, both in the theme of today's episode. One is The Beginner's Guide to Heraldry. And it is found on englishheritage.org.uk. This is aimed at uh, children, but mostly children of all ages, because I looked through it and it looked like something that would be fun to do on a, a lazy weekend like this. It teaches you the very basics of English heraldry, like, you know, very, very easy to do. It'll guide you through creating your own coat of arms. You can also create your own cardboard shield or just color and cut out fantastical beasts like dragons griffins, cockatrices, or my favorite, manticores, uh, which is a fearsome man-eating creature with a lion's body, a man's face, tusks, horns, and a deafening trumpet-like voice. And if that's not on my personal coat of arms, then I don't know what to tell you. It's better than a tiger because it's guaranteed to eat men. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if Carol Baskin had manticores, there'd be no question where Don Lewis went. <laughs> so... In fact, if all of these people had manticores, uh, there'd, there'd be justice for everyone. <laughs> I, I suppose that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the second recommendation I had was this uh, Vox uh, video. They make mini documentaries to go mm -hmm. on their site. This one's very silly. It's uh, Meet the Designer Cats with Wild Blood. Because there's you know major discussion on the show, I should say, is tiger breeding which you know the ethics therein which you know I, I should say that i am against because it is very gross and there are more tigers bred in domestic situations than there are in the wild cat breeding domestic cat breeding is a little less sketchy although you know you should always spay and neuter your cats this very brief mini documentary talks about designer cat breeds one of the breeds is called a bengal which comes from a a uh, certain African wildcat. Another is called a savanna, which is a, a fairly common but very expensive breed of cat. But the one that is most appropriate for this episode is called a toiger, oh. which, <laughs> oh. which I am happy to report is really just a domesticated cat with tiger stripes. <laughs> So I thought that would be important to share for today. Uh, you obviously know what things will be nails across the chalkboard for me. Or in this case, yes, claws across the chalkboard, I suppose. <laughs> yep, I picked that one especially for you. Yes. I'm willing to bet that when you watched The Tiger King, the first time you heard Carol Baskin say, Hey, hey, all you, you cool, cool cats, cats and, and kittens. kittens, you knew that I was picking up yes. a brick and throwing it through my television at that moment. Yes, I did. I was like, oh, wow, Doc is not going to be happy no, about this no, one. No, that... Doc knows. Doc Antle, yes. oh, he probably really hates it. But There's no quicker way to become a villain mm -hmm. in my book than, than to say something like that. Yes. So <laughs> I have only one recommendation, uh, and okay. it's from the website I was reading from. Uh, it's called the Medieval Bestiary website, and we will have the link on the show notes page, but it's pretty easy. It's it's just bestiary.ca. It hasn't been updated since 2011, and that doesn't mean it isn't great. It means it's evergreen. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's really good. It's really good sourcing. Everything in there is quite wonderful. It's written in a way that you don't have to you don't have to be a specialist 
to understand it. Uh, I don't think there's any like untranslated Latin or anything like that in there. I haven't looked at every page, but I don't think so. Uh, but they have all sorts of animals, not just tigers, but every kind of animal you could think of that mm-hmm. they have reference to in these medieval bestiaries. They have long quotes like the ones I've, I've talked about, and they have pictures. You can see how the person who's reading what the scribe said imagined they were writing about uh, whether they'd seen it in in a menagerie, which they probably hadn't, uh, or they were just going by the description, you get a sense of what in their minds they thought uh, these animals looked like. So that's the Medieval Bestiary website. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. Final thoughts before we sign off. Whose kingdom would you rather live in? Joe's, Carol's, or Doc Antle's? Um, am I me in this circumstance? You're you, yeah. Wow. The country is divided up into these three kingdoms and you're forced to go live in one of them. Okay. Well, obviously I couldn't live in Carol's kingdom. Uh, <laughs> there's just the first time she spoke, there would be bloodshed immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. that just couldn't happen. So probably what I, the most comfortable situation for me would be living in one of those terrible shacks or stable areas on doc Antle's <laughs> kingdom. Because while Joe Exotics seems like it would be the most fun, it would also be the one that would, you would get tired of the fun after a couple of days, either that or you would just be in a cycle of self-destruction until all the things that happen on the show would inevitably happen to you. So if I'm me, I gotta be, I gotta be some dude who's out, who's not part, who's cast out of Doc Antle's sex cult and I'm out in the... I guess in the one of the little shacks he pe- puts people in. Okay. That's the best Fair for enough. me. How about you? Well, I'm not going to live on in Carol Baskin's kingdom because Florida. Um, I'm not going to live on in Doc Antle's kingdom because, you know, sexual slavery. You know, I'm going to I'm going to say Joe Exotics because that's the devil I know. I feel like I know those people. Either that or I'm going to try to make my way down to Colombia and see about the remnants of uh, Pablo Escobar's <laughs> life. <laughs> I mean, what else is left for me at that point? That's a, that's a, that is a good point. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about Carol Baskins that makes me, I just could not live with that. There is yeah. no way I could live with that. So. Mm. Well, uh, this was a great topic, I thought. This, this was. I think it, it was very fitting. It was pop and it was medieval. There we go. <laughs> well, West through Hall, Nina. West through Hall, Doc. Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerd Given Studios. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Our music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinry. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash popmedieval. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E. S-O-M-E dot com slash pop Thank you for listening.